What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Biden addressed the economy. In fact, there was one of these, Jen Psaki was, I think it was Peter Ducey from Fox News was like, well, what are you going to do about the fact that people don't want to go back to work because they're making so much money on unemployment? And she's like, really? You're trying to sell that crap to us here in the White House? Seriously? Come on. You know, people are not vaccinated. People don't have child care. There's all these. Bernie's response, I thought was brilliant. We don't need to do away with $300 a week in unemployment benefits. We need to do away with, I'm paraphrasing here, we need to do away with starvation wages. I mean, you want people to come back to work? Pay them decently. Gee, what a novel idea. Never thought of that. Yeah, uh, step one. But, uh, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask and, you know, generally tossed into the conversation that we're having today Last Tuesday, the Washington Post hosted this uh, live video chat with Josh Hawley. And it's like, really? Josh Hawley? A live video chat? I mean, this is the guy who, who did the fist bump, right? Or the, you know, pumping his hand in the air about, you know, yeah, we want to, you know, go out there and take on, you know, whatever. Take the Capitol. Take it down. There is something fundamentally wrong, in my opinion with the media treating Josh Hawley like everything is normal, right? Not asking him, wait a minute, why did you do that? What, you know, what's going on? Why is it, you know, that nobody's holding this guy down? And it's not just the Post. He has a new book out about the tyranny of big tech. And so the Washington Post is asking him about his book, but, and his supposed reputation, quote, for taking on the big and powerful to protect Missouri workers as a fierce defender of the Constitution. Right, this is the guy who tried to assault the Constitution. What am I missing here? Is there some piece of this that I'm, I'm just like too dense to get? I mean, on CBS this morning, last week, and by the way, the, the guy who wrote the piece about this is Jake Johnson of Our Common Dreams, and it's just a brilliant piece. CBS this morning interviewed Rick Scott. Rick Scott is, you know, not only was the head of the healthcare company in Florida that was accused and then convicted of the largest Medicare fraud in the history of the United States. He took his money and he ran with that money and used that money to become governor of Florida. And now he's the senator from Florida. And I guarantee you in 2024, he will be the one of the nominees, one of the candidates for president of the United States on the Republican side. 
if Donald Trump doesn't succeed in pushing everybody out of that race. But he was also one of the guys who was a big enthusiast for overturning the election and keeping Donald Trump in the White House. Rick Scott, this multimillionaire from Florida, the healthcare scam guy. And he was interviewed on CBS this morning. And they didn't ask him a single question about why do you support sedition? Are you, sir, still a traitor? What's going on here? Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, Kevin McCarthy, these guys all regularly appear on television. And the first question is never, are you still a traitor, sir? Do you still support sedition? What's happening to our media? You see, this is the process. We, We had a lot of conversations about this back in the early Trump years. Actually, even in 2016, during the primary and during the uh, general election, was this idea of normalization, of normalizing the things that under other circumstances we would be shocked by, we would be horrified by. The president talking about, oh, yeah, no, I, I didn't rape that woman. Uh, I, she's not good enough for me. Trump's essential argument in the, in the E. Jean Carroll case where she's accusing him of rape and his answer was, she's not my type right? Not worthy of raping. I mean, can you imagine if Barack Obama had said that? And that's like one thing out of 500. And now we have sedition. Now we have, an, we have actual treason, an actual attempt to overthrow the government of the United States that was led in part by members of Congress, by Ted Cruz, by Josh Hawley, by Rick Scott, over in the House, and you have Kevin McCarthy, who's scared to death about having to testify. He is, he is fighting a commission to study January 6th because he was the guy who was on the phone with Donald Trump begging him to call off his people, his brown shirts or red shirts or his red hats, I guess we should call them. Kevin McCarthy, the Republican you know, leader of the Republicans in the House of Representatives, the House Minority Leader, on the phone on January 6th, while the Capitol was under siege by a thousand or more traitors who were trying to overthrow the United States. And by the way, the research is in. The vast majority of these people came from counties that saw the largest declines in white populations in the United States. This is all about white supremacy and the great replacement theory that Tucker Carlson is promoting over on Fox so-called news. As it was in 1861. It's all about white supremacy. And nobody's asking these white guys who are supporting this white supremacist coup, who supported an attempt to overthrow the United States, who supported open treason against the United States, Why are you still in Congress? Why are we talking to you about big tech, Senator Hawley? Shouldn't we be talking about treason? I mean, what am I missing here? Was there like something that happened in the the media that just all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you know, this is no big deal. How did this become normalized? Yeah, I get it over on Fox News, right? Got entire shows devoted to, and Donald Trump coming on going, oh yeah, my people were the hugging and kissing the police, right? That's why 140 of them ended up in the hospital. Three of them dead. Because Trump's people were hugging and kissing them. 
But over on Fox News, it's like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's all good. Nothing to worry about. On right wing hate radio, oh, you know, those are some patriots worried about the future of America. Right. These people need to stop looking at people of color and freaking out and saying, oh my God, here they come, and start looking at the billionaires who are manipulating them and robbing them blind, using their racial fears as a weapon against them, and they don't even realize it. They do not realize the extent, the level to which they are being manipulated by these people. I think it's an American tragedy. I don't have a better, a better phrase to describe it. I think it's, it's just, it is literally a tragedy. But I guess the, the question is, why is the media not treating these insurrectionists as criminals? Or as alleged criminals, at the very least? Yeah, Senator Hawley, you're, it's alleged that you committed treason or that you supported treason or sedition. Let's talk about that. It's not happening. What the hell's going on? I just continue to be baffled by this. I just don't get it. But anyhow, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. And Jonathan in Portland. Hey, Jonathan, what's up? This is the first time I'm ever calling you. I think I've learned more from you than anything. I've kind of started out as an empty bucket in politics. I grew up single mother, family, never really knew anything about politics. And I rented Screwed from the library, listened to that audio book. And thank you very much for that. Um, Oh, you're welcome. I've been noticing everyone I know is delusional. They live in the Fox and Facebook world. And I recently lost a boyfriend to the QAnon rabbit hole. Oh, no. uh, Yeah, I mean, very interesting, very interesting. Didn't know anything about it. And now I know Uh way more than I would want to. And I kind of (laughs) just wanted to reach out to you and ask you, to kind of give us a little more help on the the low end of the income bracket, I guess, where, you know, families are single parents, they're taking care of their elderly parents as they're dying, and they just don't know anything. The very first time I ever voted was for Obama, and I was 38 years old. And the reason I didn't vote before that is because I didn't feel like I knew anything. Yeah. So, Melissa, thank you for informing yourself and for catching up, you know, with what's going on. And you said help for, you know, people on the bottom. One of the policies that immediately comes to mind is that and and Bernie's been advocating this for, geez, 20 years. I mean, every every one of the 11 years he was on the show, he would talk about it, is making sure that Medicaid, which is what typically covers people in nursing homes, uh, elderly folks, um, that Medicaid would uh, would offer benefits to family to keep elderly people I'm, in their homes rather than I'm simply sorry, putting them in. I'm worried too much homes. about financial Go help ahead. or whatever. More like the bullet points. Like if you look at the right wing people, how they mm-hmm. talk, they're repeating mm-hmm. these bullet points and they're um, hypnotizing everyone that I know. And then you look at the left side and we have this long, thoughtful, very educated, smart conversation, <laughs> which in the end yeah. sounds like blah, 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 blah. And people fall asleep. 
So yeah. how do I like how do I even talk to anybody in my family anymore who is telling me that Democrats are killing babies and they say the word regulations like that I should be so against regulations and I'm trying to say well what about meat and what about chickens like I mean and what about we need regulations but I don't have enough education yeah. in my art Okay so well, here's some bullet points for you. You know regulations are protections. If you don't want this company, oh, you, you want to do away with our protection, the, the protection of our, the quality of our air so that we have to breathe poisoned air so that this company can make more money? Oh, you want to do away with the protection of our water supply so that the coal mines, power plants can dump more crap in our water? You want to do away with the protections of, of predictable drugs or clean food, you know, safe food? That seems crazy to me. That would be my response to anybody who's going off on regulations. If they've got a specific regulation, then, you know, you may have a, a different argument in terms of things like healthcare. Why is it that in every other developed country in the world, nobody goes broke because they get sick? It literally, it doesn't happen. We had 600,000 people in America go broke last year, literally have to declare bankruptcy, probably millions of families in that broad category, 600,000 of them ended up having to go to court to declare bankruptcy because somebody in their family got sick. The number of people in Canada last year who declared bankruptcy because somebody in their family got sick was zero. The number of people in Germany last year who had to declare bankruptcy because somebody in their family got sick was zero. Why can't we have what the rest of the world has? I realize that billionaires don't want their taxes to go up to help pay for it. Screw them. That's a little more than a bullet point, but, you know, there you go. <laughs> I would probably have to respond, Melissa, to a specific argument. No, that's very helpful. I do want to mention, because I know you and Louise watch Cagney and Lacey a lot. I've been mm. watching Nanny 911, which is also an old show, and they send a nanny over to America. And you kind of get a glimpse in how American children are raised, and a lot of them are babysat by video games where they play violent video games for hours at a time and never learn oh. anything. So I really, really appreciate what you do, Tom. And God bless both yeah. you and Louise and your pets. <laughs> okay. Nanny 911. That's interesting. Is that on BritBox? I think it's on um, Gabble. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know about that, but I'll have to check it out. Melissa, thank you. Thanks for your kind words and good luck. You know, it's great to like me welcome another activist into the fold, another person who cares about democracy and the fate and future of America. It's such an important, it's such a good thing. Is purging Lynn Cheney the end of the Republican Party. Julio Rivera is on the line with us, the editorial director at Reactionary Times, contributor to Newsmax, American Thinker, and townhall.com. Reactionarytimes.com is the uh, website. Oh, yeah, it's Julio is uh, his Twitter handle. And, uh, and, and Julio, is the Cheney purge? Is this complete embrace of this big lie that Donald Trump won the election and it was stolen from him by Republicans in Georgia and Republicans in Arizona? Is that going to kill the Republican Party? Well, let me tell you something. First off, Liz Cheney isn't a Republican that I think the majority, the base of the party, the spirit, the soul of the party, Republicans like myself, do not align ourselves with the corporatist, establishment, Republican, globalist types 
that basically are the pawns of the major corporations. Listen, Tom. But Julia, for for four years, she voted 91 percent of the time with Trump. Easy to do that when you have a Republican president. That doesn't mean anything. It's how you vote when you have a Democratic president that actually shows where you stand and where your alliances are, believe it or not. Now, let me tell you something. Oh, that makes uh, sense. Um, like I was trying, the point I was trying to make is we're, we're kind of similar in some ways, although we are ideologically, you know, completely different. We both dislike uniparty politicians or establishment politicians, of which Lynn Cheney is one of them. The, the, the one point I will make about the election, though, is that in four swing states, Four very important swing states that would have decided the election either way. The elections in those four states were decided by a total of less than 45,000 total votes. So I think the point that people were making about the weak need Republican legislatures in certain states is that, you know, when they were setting up for changing rules for this upcoming election, you know, back last summer when it was upcoming in November, we knew that there were going to be equal protection issues. We knew that there were going to be unconstitutional issues where we had judiciaries changing deadlines for votes to come in and doing things that were unconstitutional. The problem was that those Republicans did not take action at the time. After the fact, it's nearly impossible to prescribe a remedy to fix that and that's the reason why Joe Biden is president today. But do, who do so I let me, feel let me get this straight. truly won the presidency? Uh, president Trump, I think, won. Yeah. So you think Trump won the election? Um, yes, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. That's I think under sad. normal circumstances, that, under that equal protection, sad. if we so, had done everything constitutionally correct, so, President Trump would have won. You mean at least won the Electoral College because Biden won the, yeah, that's the, what I mean. the yeah, popular well, vote by well, 7 million votes. But, yeah, but, so, but do you really so, believe that? I'm just you trying really to understand your argument here. Just trying to understand your argument. What you're saying is that because a couple of states allowed mail-in voting in ways that they hadn't previously, which is not even mentioned in the Constitution. It's more than that, Tom. I think you're simplifying it. And and because a couple of states, there was an expansion of voting rights in several states, in many Republican states, in fact. They just weren't the consequential ones that you and I are talking about right now. But I think the ones you and I are talking about right now are principally Pennsylvania and Arizona. So you're saying that, that because of that, more Democrats voted. How do you know that more Republicans didn't vote? The issue that I Republicans have Republicans historically with this, have been the vote by mail people. They're the older people. That's not necessarily true. No, because most older voters become more dependent on the government. And there's a lot of Democrats. It's almost like a life cycle when you're young and you're ideological and you're like, I want to save the world. And the government has to help us and save us. But you Julio, get a lot of young Republicans have been promoting. And you get promoting... older, a lot of people become liberals because they're dependent on the government. And they're dependent no, on government it actually works. to become older. Well, yes, there are there are Social Security voters and Medicare voters. I'll give you that. Yes, of but course. No, the reason the why the Republican Party... Voters, yeah particularly in Florida, for years has been promoting vote by mail is because the majority of people over 65, regardless of what you say about their affection for Social Security and Medicare, actually vote Republican. Slowly changing as the anti-war generation boomers well, kind of age in. Income, but even, ones with even those of us and, who and are anti-war like boomers were a minority, the boomer generation throughout that time. So aren't you worried that embracing this big lie that Donald Trump won the election when, in fact, he obviously did not, and it's been certified by Republicans that he did not, aren't you concerned that embracing that big lie and purging people like Liz Cheney out of the party 
as a result, are going to just alienate moderate Republicans? I mean, you've got you've got Republicans right now who are just hysterical about how this is cutting into the party. You've got within the party, you had a, a recent par- a Republican caucus meeting where McCarthy had information, polling information, showing that that Trump is actually going to be a drag on Republicans, and he failed to produce that information. Listen, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. The weak-kneed Republicans have been getting creamed in elections for generations, and it's and, and in recent history. That's the reason why John McCain got crushed by Obama. And after Obama had a horrifically historically bad first term, Mitt Romney lost because he's another wishy-washy moderate Republican. The reason the Tea Party surged, the reason we took the, the Senate in 2014, the reason President Trump won is because we need bold, strong, America-first conservatives that are deregulators, cutting taxes, and doing all the things to boom the American economy. Listen, in 2022, I'm going to tell give it you a prediction It didn't work right that now, way, Julio. If, Cutting, if cutting taxes for billionaires did not boom voting. the economy. Dereg, yes, you know, and, and allowing more poison in our Reagan water, allowing more poison in our air did not create more voters. Oh, Lord, You know, the scam Lord, Lord. that you guys are running, that somehow doing away with the protections for the American people so that corporations can dump more poison in our waters and Coke Industries oh, can dump more poison in our air <laughs> is somehow some wonderful thing. Well, you said you just said deregulation. We want more Republican oh, deregulation. We want more tax cuts. With their, with their Joe plastic. Biden just passed yeah. the largest tax cut for people making under $75,000 no, no, in the history no, of the United not. States. In fact, most people pay, making less than $75,000 this year will pay nothing in He's federal taxes because of the Biden plan, tax cuts. His dirty plan to go ahead and change the tax code using reconciliation this fall is going to cause, mark my words, write it down that I said it today, that the biggest sell-off in stocks in American history, because everybody with passive income is going to say, I don't want to be taxed uh, as regular income, like employment income, and they're going to lose their capital gains and they're going to lose their qualified dividend tax rate, and they're going to be the biggest sell-off in American history this fall. Mark my Gee. words. Oh, and that, and that might hurt a few billionaires. We'll see. We'll, no, it's gonna <laughs> we'll see. Regular people, regular Rivera, Reactionary Times. Happen to be oh, yeah, it's Julio to on Twitter. Income. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Thanks, Julio. Good talking with you. Thank you. God bless, Tom. I love you. Bye-bye. Back at you. We'll be back. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's 
or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Diana in Sanford, Maine. Hey, Diana, you wanted to talk about Ayn Rand and the GOP? Yes. Hi, Tom. I don't want to repeat what another lady caller about all I have learned from you. Every time I watch you, it's just amazing. The things that I never knew before and I do now. And like even with with Ayn Rand, um, I just wanted to kind of like I I was not aware of um, the connection with the the uh, Republican Party, the GOPs and her. And Trump, I thought he was only connected to, like, the uh, the World Order book of propaganda. Paul Ryan, when he was Speaker of the House, required yeah. his new interns to read Ayn Rand's books. It was mm-hmm. a requirement and, of employment. I mean, that, that's and, how deeply I, embedded she is in the Republican Party. Dead though she and, is. <laughs> yes. And I, and, I, and I did remember him um, uh, mm-hmm. Being a fan, but I did not know that it that it was required or went that. Went oh, it's that it's far, institutionalized you know, essentially. To it, yeah. You know, um, and official, I did but, not yeah. know how e- evil she was. <laughs> you know, um, I think I think she was a sociopath. Uh, you know, I think that she was yes. she was disconnected from reality. I don't know if she was broken by her childhood experience. She was twelve mm-hmm. years old when the Bolsheviks took her father's pharmacy uh, away from mm-hmm. them and right. rendered them homeless. Um, or if she was just born that way. I mean, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows what causes a sociopath or a psychopath to be who they are and what they are. But I think she mm-hmm. was one of them. And she certainly identified with, with Dwayne Hickman and said, you know, this guy is the guy. And he was obviously a psychopath, you know, a murderous yeah. one. And, and, and then she, she built this entire philosophy around this guy's personality. And it's just... It's it's breathtaking, Diana. I'm, 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 I, I, did you have a question beyond that, or did you just want to make a comment? Actually, actually between this, um, without all the hand wringing I've been doing and worrying and being an activist the best that I can for Biden mm-hmm. and uh, going back to FDR, you know, I just love that. But what can I do? You know, um, yeah. uh, half of what? my family are not on on the same same thing. You know, besides, you know, I call mm-hmm. my senators all the time. So which would be the best topic for me to call today? <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I, think, than- I think generally, you know, being in contact with the people who represent you is important. I think the uh, probably one of the, the most overlooked things that act the people who want to be politically active do is uh, forget local stuff. You know, uh, who in in Sanford, Maine, you know, who who represents you on the city council and the mayor in your main state legislature? 
who is your state representative and who is your senator and are you paying attention to what they're doing and what they're up to and and mm-hmm. can you get involved in those races by helping you know good democrats get elected to office and then of course at the federal level um you know just joining the local democratic party is a huge deal showing up for those virtual meetings online and physical mm-hmm. meetings you know when the day comes again and volunteering. There's there's a bunch of organizations out there too. I know one of the things that indivisible.org does that's so good is they actually kind of send out assignments. It's not super frequently. I'm I'm on their list. I get one maybe once a week and it's like, "Okay, we're going to focus on this and this and this and here's how and here's the number and here's what you do." And I find that real useful. There's all those avenues for activism, but the bottom line is just figure out what you're going to do and and jump in with both feet and don't give up. Diana, I have to move along, but thank you for the call. Well, thank and thank you for your you kind words. You're welcome. Al in Oakland, California. Hey, Al, what's on your mind today? Where do you see the, the Republican Party going with the exit of Cheney Kissinger? Where do you see this party headed, number one? Number two, California. I'm obviously in California. California seems to, I'm a bicyclist. I ride everywhere. Most of the people that I, that I ride, I ride around my neighborhood here in Oakland, Hayward, all these areas. We have so much homelessness here. Mm-hmm. And most of these people that are homeless are from other states, mainly the red states. What can we the do? cold red states, yeah. Yeah, man, cold-blooded. Well, I mean cold, too, physically. People, people leave Montana when they're broke so that they could, if they're going to live on the street, it's, it's much more comfortable in, in Southern California or even in Oakland than it Absolutely. is in, in Butte, Montana with the, with the horrible winters. I get that. Why don't, they, um, why don't they create facilities for them there? Because they're Republicans, you know, and, and they, you know, because they're Republicans. This is a nationwide problem, Al. We did not, you know, th- those of us old enough to remember America before Reagan, before the 1980s, remember that there basically was no homeless problem in the United States prior to the 80s. There were there was a mental health problem there, but you know it was it was also well dealt with. Reagan destroyed the mental health system in California first as governor and then nationally, and essentially created our modern homelessness problem, or at least the mentally ill part of it, which is probably a third, uh, maybe a quarter to a third of the people who are who are, are finding themselves homeless. They're people who ha- range from severe psychosis to just you know so mildly disturbed or PTSD. A lot of you know. There's, I think the number is 41,000 vets are homeless right now in the United States. Um, Some mind-boggling number in many cases just because they can't deal with PTSD and issues like that. We need a national response to homelessness. There is not a community in America right now, particularly in parts of the country where the weather is nice, which is increasingly all across the country that isn't freaked out about homeless people we, and, and you, know, uh, you know, bringing crime and dirt and, and, and disease and, and whatnot to their neighborhood. But the bigger issue is what about those people themselves? These are human beings. You know, uh, we should be feeding them. We should be providing them with medical care. We should be meeting their needs. We should be figuring out what they need in order to become, at, at least if they can't become functional members of society, at, at least, you know, uh, part of society rather than living on the outside of society essentially both perceived that way by others and perceived that way by themselves and and it's an issue that the democratic party has been 
somewhat reluctant to pick up because there's it's a it's complex b it's controversial and c it smells like welfare and there are still elements of that anti anti welfare strain in the in the democratic party and the republican party won't have anything to do with because in the republican party worldview you know if you're poor and you're broke and you're living in a tent it's your own damn fault and i got mine screw you i mean that's the that's kind of the the entire republican philosophy boiled down to one long sentence um so I don't have an easy answer for this other than that we need to be, uh, from the federal and state level, we need to be providing services to communities. I know that Portland is struggling like hell uh, right now with the homeless population. And, and there's a lack of resources and, and, and there's a lack of, frankly, respect for the humanity of homeless people, number one. Number two to your question, what about the Republican Party getting rid of Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kitzinger, I think it is? And uh, yeah, and, and, then, and then you got Mitt Romney, yeah, he's the congressman from, as I recall, Northern Illinois. And then you've got you know, Mitt Romney, who's getting booed at, the, at, at his own convention. I don't know where this goes, Al, and it's got me scratching my head. Somebody raised a question over on Democratic Underground, might have been this morning, might have been yesterday. What's going to happen to the GOP when Trump is gone? You know, what happens if, you know, he, he eats one too many cheeseburgers and, and, you know, drops dead? Eventually that's going to happen. I mean, you know, it might be a decade, it might be a, a month, but without Trump, is there a Republican Party anymore? Is there, well, is there an heir apparent? Jim Scott, he's going to throw his hat in the ring. All these yeah. things you're seeing, what's happening in, in Florida as we speak, being arrested, protesting, being shot, not being accountable for it by police, things that are very, very perplexing. And what I'm seeing here in California, I grew up, in, I was born in Oakland, raised in Berkeley. And as a result of that, I got a leg up on a lot of this stuff because I was in Berkeley during all of this. And yeah, yeah. as a result of what I'm seeing, I'm seeing that California can make it on its own. We can see it from the union. We can pay our yeah, own. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, own well, not, maybe not unfortunately. That's not going to happen. Thank you for the call. This is some tough questions. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And there are some tough realities that as a country, we are failing to rise to the occasion with regard to We have refugees, essentially, in the United States. Rick in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Rick, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's up. Um, I find it hard to believe that this voter suppression is going on and the Democrats don't seem to be able to do anything about it. It's like they're waiting for some possible excuse where they can do something, but why can't they do that? This affects the whole country. It ought to be a federal issue, and they just seem to be ignoring it. So what am I missing? Yeah, what you're missing is H.R. 1, also known as Senate Bill 1, SB 1, also known as the For the People Act, that would overrule all of those things that they're doing, almost all of the things that they're doing in the states. And the thing that is preventing that piece of legislation, which has already passed the House of Representatives, the thing that is preventing it from passing the Senate is the filibuster. And one of the things that I would keep an eye on here, Rick, is this afternoon, Joe Biden is having a private one-on-one meeting with Joe Manchin. Okay. This is going to be interesting. Where does this go? Now, theoretically, the meeting is about the, uh, the, the infrastructure plan. But I'm guessing... 
And I'm just, you know, having watched LBJ do this, and LBJ knew the Senate as well as Joe Biden knows the Senate. These are guys who were both in the Senate for like decades. And my guess is that the conversation is going to be something like this. Biden's going to say, hey, you want to have some bridges named after you, Joe? Do you want to, you know, help rebuild West Virginia? You want to cut poverty in half in West Virginia? You want to be part of a really consequential and positive change where people are going to be saying your name decades from now? Like they like they do Robert Byrd. There's a Robert Byrd bridge. There's a Robert Byrd Parkway. Robert Byrd was the previous senator from West Virginia who you know, in his later days in particular, did a fair amount of good, actually. Early on, he was crazy, but that's a whole other thing. But, you know, he's going to be saying, do you want do you want this legacy? Or do you want the legacy of nothing gets done again? You know, nothing gets done like for, for the last 40 years. You're going to have to sign up with us. I will give you all these things, Joe. I will give you, I will give you the, you know, your bridges. I'll give you your tunnels. I'll give you broadband. We'll put West Virginians back to work. We'll prioritize West Virginia. But you've got to help me with this filibuster. And you've got to help me with, this, with these bills. And you've got to help me with some of the other reluctant senators like Kirsten Sinema. That's what I'm hoping that conversation is going to be like, because you're absolutely right, Rick. These laws that are being passed are fundamentally anti-American. In a normal universe, I would say they are anti-democratic with a small d, but that still sounds like Democratic Party. So I'm not even going to say that. These are anti-American. America was founded on the idea that the majority rules there are protections for the minorities, but the majority rules, and that's called democracy. And this legislation that is being passed in state after state after state to make it harder for people to vote so that, the, so that a minority can essentially rule is just so wrong. It's just so wrong. HR wanting would ban it. It would outlaw it. And that's why in your activism, if you're reaching out in particular to your senators, and you've got two senators there from West Virginia. I think it's Shelley Moore Caputo and Joe Manchin. Actually, I, I don't recall where. Joe was in Pennsylvania. So you've got two senators, too. And one is retiring. But in any case, reach out to your senators and say it's time to end the filibuster. It's just absolutely time to end the filibuster. And, of course, you can go to WhiteHouse.gov, too, and you can leave a message because Joe Biden needs to be putting the pressure on these folks. Another question I wanted to ask is, and this has to do with the article that I wrote over the weekend on Saturday that I published over at Harbin Report, is why are we amazed by QAnon when the Republican Party was transformed by a psychotic child murderer? I mean, literally, this, uh, the, the title of the piece that I published on May 8th over at HarbinReport.com is, Americans must repudiate the connection between a child murderer, Reaganism, and Trumpism. The seeds of this American brutality all grew out of Ayn Rand's writing, or not all, but largely today. And, you know, the Libertarian Party, of course, was started as a scam by a real estate industry lobbying group as a way to justify their idea that they should not be regulated. Real estate, you know, should not be taxed or regulated so they can make more money. But then comes Ayn Rand, right? Donald Trump was asked in 2015 by USA Today's Kirsten Powers his favorite book. And his favorite book, he said, was uh, The Fountainhead. This is a book by Ayn Rand in which a young woman gets raped and then decides she liked being, likes being raped. 
Trump said, it relates to beauty, business, life, and inner emotions. That book relates to everything. Paul Ryan was requiring everybody on his staff to read it, for example. And, and Trump says, I identify with Howard Rourke. He's the novelist's protagonist, right, who designs skyscrapers and rages against the establishment. In fact, he was so upset with the government doing things that he literally used dynamite to blow up a public housing project. Because we don't, we don't need no stinking public housing projects. But the hero of Ayn Rand was this guy by the name, in her journals, in fact, she lays it out, the hero of her her life, of Ayn Rand's life, was this man named William Edward Hickman. He lived in Los Angeles during the Roaring Twenties. Ten days before Christmas in 1927, Hickman kidnapped from the Mount Vernon Valley Junior High School the daughter uh, of Perry Parker. He was a wealthy businessman. Her name was Marion, a 12-year-old girl, Marion Parker. Kidnapped her, held her for ransom. He wanted 1500 bucks, which was a year's salary back then. And uh, after two days, his dad, her dad said, okay, fine, I'll pay you. But by that point in time, he had already murdered this little girl. And he, he told the paper, and I, I lay it out. There's parts of it that are just so gruesome, I don't want to read on the air. But he talked about how he just couldn't help himself. He just had to kill her. He had to strangle her. And then he had to cut her throat and drain her blood into the sink and then cut her body up into pieces. And then when he went out to meet her father, who was going to pay the ransom, he took a shotgun and he had just her torso and her head with her eyes sewed open so it looked like she was alive in the backseat of his car. And her father comes out and leaves the $1,500 in a satchel on on the ground. And Hickman's got the shotgun on him. And then Hickman kicks this dead body, these pieces of this dead body of this guy's daughter out on the street and drives off and and dad falls to his knees sobbing. So that's who we're talking about. He was the most notorious criminal of the 1920s, of the Roaring Twenties. According to the Los Angeles Times, they called him the most, they said it was the most horrible crime of the 20s. But to Ayn Rand, this guy was a hero. She said that Hickman is, quote, the ideal man that she based the Fountainhead, Donald Trump's favorite novel, on. His statement that I am like the state, what is good for me is right, resonated deeply with her. This is what she wrote in her diary, Ayn Rand. She said, Hickman is the best and strongest expression of a real man's psychology I've ever heard. This is the monster who hacked up a 12-year-old girl, right? She said, the first thing, this is during his trial. She said, the first thing that impresses me about the case is the ferocious rage of the whole society against one man. She said, this is Ayn Rand writing in her diaries about Hickman. She said, it is not the crime alone that has raised the fury of public hatred. It is the case of daring challenge to society. See, he was unrepentant. He was quite proud of what he did. It is the amazing picture of a man with no regard whatsoever for all that society holds sacred, with a consciousness all his own. Thus, she said, the media turned a brilliant, unusual, exceptional boy into a purposeless monster. She was writing a book at the time, It was, uh, and its hero, a young man named Danny Renahan. And in her notes on that book, she wrote, the model for Renahan is Hickman. He would be her ideal man. He was born with the spirit of Argon and the nature of a medieval feudal lord. Imperious, impatient, uncompromising, untamable, intolerant, unadaptable, passionate, intensely proud, superior to the mob, an extreme extremist, no respect for anyone or anything. That was Ayn Rand's hero that she based her novels on. At least two of them. 
And she is the hero that the Republican Party bases its policies of thoughtful, intelligent greed. Greed is good. Greed will drive things. Greed is the power behind capitalism, don't you know? This is what the GOP is all about, sadly. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And then Trump came along and in, you know, in the language of the 21st century, essentially said the same thing that Ayn Rand did. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Cindy in Houston, Texas. Hey, Cindy, what's up? Just wanted to say something really quick. You spoke about something that is so important to me. Of course, Bernie Sanders being a Democratic Socialist. And when you start talking about this, it's just, uh, first of all, thank you so much for bringing it out in the open. Democratic Socialism is a word that people feel like it equals communism. They don't understand who FDR is. They don't understand at that time what the New Deal did and even how hard it was for the FDR when he was running, how the Republicans all called him a communist because he was considered Democratic Socialist. It's mind-boggling how you can have the top 1%, how you can have a Fox News speaking about to the people how they want to have a small government. But in reality, look at what they're doing now today. It is not a small – they want the government to work for them, correct, which, which of course, would be considered socialism for the rich. And it's just mind-boggling how many people out there today still cannot grasp and understand that the problem is not on the working people, it's not my neighbors, it's not immigration, it's at the very, very top. That's the part to me that if we can get enough awareness out there, people to realize that what the problem is, then, you know, we can have a lot of hope. And along with Bernie Sanders, to me, that right there is where I saw so much hope. Bernie, um, Bernie Biden, came out the other day and said, you know, Joe Biden is doing better than I could have done. It's not literally the words he used, but it was something close to it because he's president right now. I mean, he actually got the, the job and now he is doing so many of the things that Bernie has been arguing for all these years. There are always going to be deficiencies, but, you know, right, in any, right, I mean, the, there's no, but, no perfect anything, but I think right, he's doing a great right, job, Cindy. 
people, though, that have to keep going. It's, it's us being involved in politics on a daily basis. Politics, people say, you can't talk politics, you can't talk religion. But in fact, I think the problem we have right now is that people have not have stayed back too long. Bernie Sanders has changed that. I know people now yeah. that are involved on a daily basis. They're listening to you. People that are out there that are, are, are realizing, you know, we have got to be involved. We've got to see, because if we don't step up to the plate, then we're going to be in a lot more trouble. So thank you so yeah. much for, thank you for everything you're doing. I really appreciate it. And thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Yeah. And, and Bernie deserves a lot of credit for this, although he's not alone in that. Jan Schakowsky has been fighting that battle. Uh, Sherrod Brown has been fighting that battle. There's a bunch of people out there who've been fighting that battle for a long time. Greg in Port Huron, Michigan. Hey, Greg, what's up? Yeah, I've been watching you for 10 years now, so I'm getting my thank history you. lessons on a daily basis. I can't believe, I mean, you were around in 1969-70 when Charles Manson, you know, Mm -hmm. did this thing out there in California. Isn't there a similarity between what he did and what Trump has done in Washington at the White House? That's why it's referred to as the Trump cult. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I can't see what all, you know, you see on a daily basis while they're, they're trying to find this guy and they're talking about all these guys that crossed and went into the White House. And it's it's already been laid out by Vincent Bugliosi years ago. You could follow his playbook. Yeah. And this could yeah, be Bugli- over in a week. And that was Bugliosi was going after George W. Bush. You know, he, he wrote the case for the impeachment of George W. Bush for war crimes. And he's the guy, of course, who prosecuted Manson and wrote the book Helter Skelter, yeah. uh, Vincent Bugliosi. And in fact, he's been on the show before he died. He was on the show a number of times. I think that, you know, that's the cult. And as soon as you say, oh, yeah, Donald Trump's creating a cult just like Charlie Manson did, people go, oh, but Manson's people killed people. What are you talking about? And I'm like, wait a minute, there's seven people dead at the Capitol building, right? Five on the day and two more suicides within a week. Yeah, you know, three police officers dead, you know, four four protesters dead. You got seven dead people. And you're telling me that there's not something similar to to what uh, Charlie Manson did? That Donald Trump exactly. isn't essentially, you know, the, the political version of Charlie Manson? No, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to say that he is. Exactly. I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm a, I'm a Canadian, but lived here for 40 years. And I kind of follow the rule of law. But when you see something like this, you go, wait a minute, that's law. How can they're all white people? They, and I have nothing against the other side. Believe me, I'm not a racist. But these were all white people from the 60s. They were radical from the the, the uh, Vietnam War, as you were too. I mean, you were 17 out in California. Yeah. When you see when you see all that stuff, you go you go. Wait a minute. Doesn't that apply to the rest of the country? And yeah. all of a sudden, um, I, yeah, I, the, the racial part of it is basically that Donald Trump is creating a white racist cult. Charlie Manson's absolutely. group was entirely white. Yeah, but but I don't I don't they think, you know, I was going to say, I don't think this is about race, except that Donald Trump really made it about race. And 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 then you get, you know, like uh, this this kid, Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever, Rittenhouse, you know, who, who goes to Wisconsin, drives up to Wisconsin to kill a couple of people. Um, and now he's being celebrated, and on the right, they're raising money for him and all this kind of thing. Really? Mark in Dana Point, California. I've been to Dana Point. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Reagan did do one good thing. He granted amnesty to the immigrants. And he yeah, made it right. illegal to hire an illegal immigrant. So that's the only thing he did good. And current day Republicans should be told this or reminded of this. 
Well, they were, the Democrats were in on that, too. That was a, a bipartisan, you know, that, that it was massive, that uh, immigration reform legislation. And I think it was 86. And it, it was hugely bipartisan. And, and Reagan, you know, got a lot of crap, actually, from some people on his, on his far right for, you know, basically granting amnesty to, I think the, the estimate at that time was 5 million. Now, looking back on it, it turns out that about 3 million people took him up on that opportunity. But that's still not inconsequential. I mean, that was a lot of people who became U.S. citizens as a result of that. So, well, yeah. I agree, but I always challenge people, name one good thing the Republicans have done in 40 years. And that's like the only, the only one I can think of. Right, except that that was not an initiative that was started by, that did not come out of the Republican Party. That was a collaborative effort, and I believe that that year the Democrats controlled the Senate. I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and look. You know, what I'm talking about is something that the the Republican Party came up with, a Republican introduced, it was passed by a Republican House and Senate and signed by a Republican president. Maybe, maybe that qualifies, Mark. And if you can find out if that's the case, call me back and maybe you'll win my contest and I'll send you an autographed book. But I'm guessing that what you're going to discover is that the Democrats played probably a bigger role than Republicans did. Reagan just signed the legislation. Well, I, I agree with you, but uh, I will research it, Tom, and thanks for everything you do. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Terry in Helena, Montana. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind today? The legislature has placed a bill called HB 481 on Governor Gianforte's desk, which forbids protests and restricts, actually abolishes First Amendment rights. My question is, Wow. I'm only one person, but I'm not going to let somebody take, take away my rights without a fight. Now, I'm 68, I'm on seven types of meds, and I know if I get arrested, the cops aren't going to allow me to have my meds. Yeah, you, you don't want to go out in the streets in your condition, Terry, but there are still a lot of things you can do, and there are a lot of great organizations that you can join, including the local Democratic Party, which is doing most all of what they're doing now virtually. This fascist, this attempted fascist takeover of the United States, this attempt to roll back the Constitution by making it legal to kill protesters with your car, making it illegal to protest, you stay one step into the street and, you know, 15 years in prison, which is now apparently about to be signed in Montana and has already passed in Florida and I believe Iowa and I think it's on the governor's desk in Texas. You know, these kind of things are happening all over the country. And you're absolutely right. It is the rise of a, of a new form of, uh, you know, of a neo-fascist movement in the United States, this taking over the red states. In addition to, and perhaps most troubling, the election ref- so-called reforms that they're passing that take the counting of the votes away from the ultimate count, the ultimate certification of the vote, away from professionals voting, you know, bureaucrats within the state who have been doing this for 20, 30 years, election after election, completely transparent. They know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're, they're trained to do it. Taking it away from them and giving it to political hacks, uh, in every case, Republicans, because these are all states Republicans control. I, I think the thing to do is to be working for local Democratic victories. Find a local Democrat, you know, because this is, this is going to be both a short game you know, hopefully we can stop an awful lot of this in 2022 and 2024. And a long game. You know, we need to be rolling back these 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 kinds of laws. We need to be putting into place legislation that, that enhances and strengthens and supports the second the First Amendment, excuse me, our right to protest. The right of people 
peaceably to assemble and petition their government for redress of grievance. I'm sorry, Terry, what were you going to say? I was born 20 years after the conclusion of the Second World War. I remember the faces. You know, we used to go to the theater to watch cowboys and cartoons, and they would show these newsreels, World at War. I remember the faces. Oh, yeah, about what the fascists were like, yeah, what, what you know, World War II. And that's what's happening. I mean, these it's the same ideology. It's the same philosophy. It's so sad. But I would start, you know, locally. There's also gr- groups like, you know, MoveOn.org and uh, Indivisible.org, Progressive Democrats for America. PDA.org. There's a bunch of great groups out there that you can that you can join, you know, and, and help out from home. So you don't need to worry about not having access to your meds and things like that. Good. Hey, thanks for the call, Terry, by the way. Carl in Chicago. Hey, Carl, your thoughts? This is about Bush and his fake war in Iraq. I got some information that it was interesting. Bush was so afraid, and the Bush family was so afraid that he was going to be prosecuted for a fake war and losing 5,000 lives and, and trillions of dollars that the Bush family, supposedly Jenna Bush, purchased 100,000 acres of land in Paraguay. Why Paraguay? Well, number one, we have a military base in Paraguay. And number two, there's no extradition for political refugees in Paraguay, only for murder. This was a potential refuge for George Bush if things really went bad and he was held accountable for the fake war with the aluminum tubes and the yellow You know, I, I remember when that story came out, Carl, during the Bush, during the last years of the Bush presidency, and yeah. I was never able to confirm it. I mean, I, it was all over the news. There were dozens of different news reports about it. Has it been confirmed that the Bush fa- family bought that land in Paraguay? And, and, and number one. And number two, I mean, you know, the largest, for example, the largest la- holder of land in the entire United States right now is Bill Gates. He's yeah. got like, you know, hundreds yeah, of thousands of acres, but he buys it for investments. He buys it because the price of land is going up. So how do you know that the Bush family, if they did buy that land in Paraguay, didn't just do it as an investment? Well, it was interesting because no details came out of it why Jenna Bush was supposedly the one that bought the land in Paraguay. And there was no details on, okay, if it was an investment, how are things going on that investment? What happened to the investment? It would be a great movie if somebody wanted to pick it up. I, it may be. I can't say for sure that it's anything more than a conspiracy theory, and it may well just be that. Hopefully, this kind of stuff will shake out. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Tom Hartman, and please extend to Mrs. Hartman a belated Mother's Day. Listen, I will. I wanted to talk to you about something. I've got an idea, bro on how to uh, kneecap white nationalism and the billionaire class. Just simply go back to Dwight Eisenhower's tax rate of 92%, which was 92, 72, down to 27. Just go back to that 92, and I think it will check those guys. In, in my opinion, Professor, the only thing that money cannot buy is salvation from our creator. And, and money does supersede, now let's be straight, it does supersede our values, our principles, our loyalty to country, Okay, and it doesn't matter if it's Russian money, American money, Chinese money, it's money. Money is buying Fox News. Okay, they got nowhere to go in terms of journalism, nowhere to go in terms of journalism. I know, but they still out there. Money is buying these cyber attacks. Okay, money bought a U.S. president. Okay, now what, uh, Ralph Nader had this book one time uh, where he was talking about the extreme right and the extreme left coming together. And he had a list of different things that they would all agree on. Well, in terms of our time right now, this afternoon, this morning. I believe we can take a picture of Liz Cheney, Ocasio-Cortez, and Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders and say these are the defenders of democracy. Okay. Now, you know Miss Cheney is, is over to the right, 
You know, these other folks are to the left, but I believe they could stand together on that picture because Miss Cheney, as far as I'm concerned, is a soldier for democracy, even though her father should be in prison, in my opinion, but I believe that's for another conversation. Yeah, but and Ms. she Cheney, supported that war and continues to, yeah, but still, she is standing up to say that the election was not stolen, you know, don't believe the big lie, which is a hell of a thing for a Republican to do right now. You better believe it, my brother. Thank you, Morris. It's great to hear from It's always great to hear from you. Mike in Summit Hill, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Honestly, I think the best way to do it is by by knocking out the people like that got knocked out in Georgia, Loeffler and Purdue, by, by having people put in an emoluments clause to their aspect so they are not going to be in business. So their business will not be first off to profit from stuff. I mean, because hmm. we all know that the we all know that the regulators should not be in business. Right. So, see, you're talking about you know people like Betsy DeVos and Elaine Chao who are profiting off being in Trump's cabinet, or you're talking about you mentioned Kelly Loeffler, the the senator from Georgia, talk- whose uh, yeah, husband owns the like- New York Stock Exchange. Like that, like Loeffler, Mansion. I think the emoluments like clause already businesses. covers them. It's just that it's not enforced. Even if it does cover it, I mean, we should be pronouncing this because the fact is that we all know that government should not be in private business because if it's in private business, it'll favor the private business. Yeah, well, or let's let's rephrase that. People who have what used to be called personality interests, in other words, they have great wealth, should not be in a position to run government unless they put that wealth in a blind trust, which is what Jimmy Carter did when he became president. It's what Jack Kennedy did. It's what Richard Nixon did, for God's sake. But it's what Trump refused to do. I mean, he broke a, a, a long-standing tradition. And Justin, I'm with you. And I and I think it should apply to people like Kelly Loeffler as well. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? You know what we have to start doing? Democratic Party has to start buying Republican senators. And I mean, like, offering them, like, $10 million in uh, campaign funds. They won't have to go out and, and, you know, beg for money. They can sit on their Democratic yacht. They'll just be bought off, and we'll be able to get... If only the Democratic Party had that kind of money, Bill. Right. Well, I mean, that's the problem. You've got you've got a billionaire network, the network that that used to be called the Coke network. And and now it's a little more diffuse than that. But you've got this network that Charles and David Coke have built over the last 40 years that now has more employees in the United States than does the Republican Party, has more offices than the Republican Party, has a larger budget than the Republican Party, operates year round in all 50 states and is almost Mm -hmm. completely invisible. There is no Democratic Party analog to that. There are no Democratic billionaires who have created anything like that. The closest to it is this thing called the Democracy Alliance. I'm on the board of Vocal. I used to be you know, a member of Democracy Alliance. I used to go to their meetings. And basically, they'd sit around and say, okay, you know, where are we going to give away a couple million bucks? Not tens of millions, not hundreds of millions, not billions. It's like, mm-hmm. you know... There is no democratic analog to it, Bill. It just doesn't exist. Right. Well, unless we have like an NFL draft or something, or they have like an auction block or something for senators. Bill, thank you for that. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind today? Just strange aside, Kenyatta and I must have some sort of cosmic calendar overlap. Agree with him completely about the judiciary, um, right on the head. But the reason I'm calling was your remark earlier about what's going on in Arizona. 
and it's not a joke and shouldn't be taken as a joke. I could not agree with you more. I think it's a dress rehearsal, really. Um, I agree. And we're going to see, yeah, probably in 22 also. We won't have to wait till 24 for the state houses to overturn the popular vote. They're going to use this mechanism. So my response to that is to kind of echo louder your daily proclamation that it's not a spectator sport. People should engage in whatever way they can locally and at the state level. You can run for judge in some places without a law degree. Um, I'm a New Yorker living in Pennsylvania, and it's horrifying who gets to become a judge here, put Mm -hmm. on the robe and decide people's fate and future and finances. Um, City council, town council, become your local community's version of a Mitch McConnell type. If they're nuts and they want nutty policies, Get on that board and be the blockade that stops you. You're right. Run for public office. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, and Jay LeBlanc, the great people who help make this program work every day. And thanks to you for listening and for sharing the good word about our program and however you are receiving our program. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag your ed. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.